0: That's just, uh, that's just not true, that it's, it's always been you, it always will be you. And Father, there's great hope and comfort in that, because no matter what we have in our lives, no matter what difficulties we're carrying, um, Father, we know that you are above it, and you are greater than it, and thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of that today. God, today, as we share your word, as we have a little bit of fun, as we enjoy uh, listening from you and maybe engaging in some topics that we don't usually speak about at church, Uh, would you just be in our midst? Would you help us to uh, see ourselves, but also to see you? And Father, we just pray that, that today we will have an encounter with you, because we know that that is what changes our lives. And so we pray today for that, and we ask that you would be with us. And we pray this all through Jesus and the church together says, Amen. I wanted to kind of update you guys, uh, um, I know that we are uh, on our giving, Um, I wanted to kind of show you this number uh, in regard to this project, Shift 22, that we're walking into, that we're engaging. Um, We're almost at 400,000, isn't that amazing? Okay, that's really, that's really, really, really fantastic, so I just wanted to kind of keep that in front of you as well. Also, last week I was not in here, I was teaching the students, and I just want to remind you guys that on uh, May 15th, uh, we have a Baptism Sunday, now you're, it's not just for our students, and for our young people, for our preteens, I know they'll be in here on that day as well. But if this is a commitment that you have not yet made or one that you'd like to step into, uh, you are welcome to do it. We'll also offer on the day. Uh, we always have, have enough clothing and shorts and shirts and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks, which will be, which will be a fantastic Sunday. And I think there's, there's like eight or ten students already that, are, that have signed up to be a part of this. That's so really going to be a, uh, a fantastic Sunday. And you're not going to have to listen to me preach that long. So isn't that, it's a win for everybody, right? It really, really works. I don't know if you guys remember years ago, there used to be this uh, search engine called Ask Jeeves. You remember this one? Uh, I believe that Google uh, bought it out. And so we're doing a series today, if you didn't notice the fonts, called Ask Jesus. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun if we, um, if we talked about some things in church that we don't always talk about? I believe that church should be a place that we should be able to ask just about any question. Uh, I believe it's one of those things that we don't always need to take ourselves so seriously, uh, but I think we always need to hear from God in a variety of areas, and, uh, and I think that that would be a lot of fun. So today I thought we'd start right at the top and just, you know, let's just go for it. My question today that I'm going to ask Jesus is, is it okay for a Christian to own a gun? You like that question? I'm not joking, I'm being serious. I know this is a bit of a loaded question. Um, Meredith, you love it, huh? I'm in the part of my life that dad jokes is all I've got now. So I was like, you know, I don't want to take aim at those of you or target those of you. I'm not trying to trigger something in you. My microphone's broken, so I had to reload and, you know, use this one today. That's all I've got, okay? There's going to be a lot of dad jokes today, so you're going to have to find them. Um, but that's really my life now. And, and when your kids are just disappointed, every time you open your mouth, you've na- you're nailing it, okay? Um, you are where you need to be. But, uh, but lots of dad jokes today. I went to a, a pastor's conference on Thursday at Redeemer uh, Christian Church right here on it was uh, We were kind of invited. I was invited to go be a part of something when they had these speakers come in. And uh, one of the things, I'd already planned the sermon and it was already done. And one of the, the speakers that I think came from North Carolina or Washington, I, I can't even remember where. They said at their church, they've recently started a new small group called Biscuits and Bullets. I'm not making this up. It's a new women's group at their church. Okay? That's possibly the worst idea I've ever heard at a church whatsoever. Um, Okay, so let me ask you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> now I'm the target. Oops. Yeah, true story. Um, okay, let me ask you a question. Just, just, just in the spirit of fun, how many of you own a gun? I do too, so I've got my hand up as well. Right, we're asking your kids the same question back there. their response is about the same. Um, well, you know, welcome to Texas. That's that. That's something new. This is something that we experience. So that's part of, part of kind of what we deal with. And and you well know that this is a hot button issue. If you just Turn on the news at any point in time. There there are often news stories. I heard about one last night at Texas Roadhouse. There's always these these bad stories about shootings or something like that. It seems like you can't go a long period of time without this becoming a forefront issue again. And maybe it asks us or begs us to ask these questions, like, was Jesus a pacifist? Because people often make this assumption. Is is Jesus a pacifist? Is that the is that the Jesus that we see? Does God condone violence? Because there's times in the, in, in the Old Testament and New Testament that we seem a little mixed on this. Maybe the other question, maybe the bigger question, the one that's going to get me in a little trouble today, is how do my rights and my faith mix? How do these two things come together and collide? And is there a way for them to coexist, or are they on opposite ends of the spectrum? Now, anytime you talk about guns, there is one primary source that people quote, and that is the Second Amendment, right? Now, I went back and I actually read the Second Amendment. Now, I'm, I'm reading the context of this part, and I want to set some context today. I, I know you're already thinking this is the most entertaining Sunday you've ever had, and what's going to happen after this one. But the Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia – I love that word. We don't use that word enough. We need to use it more. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the secure of a free state, the right of the people – to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I think it's kind of ironic that that date happened to be on tax day, uh, April 15th. So I'm not sure why that law was on that day. Um, I think it's, it's very intentional, I'm sure. But the first thing that I want to start with is this. There is a difference between a right and God's law. These two things are not the same thing. There are some things that God says... This is what every person deserves. And part of that is captured in this document that founded this nation called the Declaration of Independence. That says this line, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men, now we know the men there wasn't quite as inclusive as it should have been. But we know now that the intention of that is that all people are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I always think it's kind of ironic that this one happened on the day that we celebrate Independence Day. Just making sure, just making sure. Um, But it says, and it identifies, these are three things that God gives to us. God gives us the right to live. God has created a way for us to be free, whatever that means to us. And God allows us to make choices in our lives. We are what they call free moral agents that are allowed to choose both good and bad for our lives. If you read from the earliest book of Genesis, they are given life, they are given freedom, and they are given the right to choose. Now, that doesn't mean that people make the right choice. What it means is they have the right to do that. God has given every single person that right. Maybe another question that I would ask Jesus, and we're going to unpack these. What is the difference between pacifism and peacemaking? Because the Bible never uses the word passive, um, but it does talk about peacemaking a whole lot. And maybe another question, what are the limits to our rights as Christians? Do we give up some of our rights when we become Christians? Or do we, do we try to elevate our citizenship and our rights on the same, on, on the same level? We're going to talk through some of these today. And I really want you to just hear from, from, from God and from others and sort of decide where we are in the midst of this. And we might end uh, in a different spot than you think. Or maybe we won't. But I want to set some context. Context is important. The Second Amendment was written in 1791. Now, 15 years before this was the Revolutionary War, right? This is 100, well, you know, 70 years before the Civil War. But this is about 15 years. The, the Revolutionary War... Where, where the U.S. has gained independence from, from Britain or from the U.K., from, from England or what the, the British Empire, whatever you want to call it, in 1791. Do you know what the number one weapon was in 1791? It was the musket. And I think when we read this, we need to understand the context of when this was written was a musket, not an AR-50, an automatic rifle. Because if one side had had automatic rifles in the Civil War, it would have been over real quick. Do you know how long it takes to load a musket? It takes a while, right? It's not something, it takes a minute to do this. This is why we don't read any history of there being singular mass shootings because people have time to get away when the musket is the gun you're running away from. Remember, this is a time before dynamite. Uh, Yes, there is black powder, and I understand that, but before dynamite was actually fully invented the way that it is. This is an era before nuclear weapons. And so when we talk about the, the right that we have to have these things, we've got to include the whole list. And people go, no, 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 you can't include the whole list. That only means for personal, that and this is where the lines start to get blurred really quickly. The inventor of dynamite, uh, and I think it was right before World War I, I think it might've been right before World War II that it was sort of fully finalized. When he saw what people were doing with it and they were hurting each other with it, he was devastated. He said, I never created this and I never even thought that people would use this against each other. Why is that our first instinct? When people uh, find, you know, nuclear material that has more energy per capita than anything else in the world, that our first thought is, how can we destroy other people with this? That's the mindset of the world that that we live in. But we also need to realize that when some of these guidelines, shall we call them, were written, the context of our world was very different than it is today. I imagine that if we were writing these documents today, they would look different because how we use them matters. Guns are inanimate objects, like they can be paperweights or money. These are inanimate objects. It's all about how they are used. And I don't think most people would disagree with that. The intention, if you read the Declaration of, of Independence says to defend against illegal force from neighbor, outsider, or your own government. This is coming off right of the Revolutionary War. These people are still living in, hey, is, is, is the British Empire massing kind of a second wave? Are they about to come and try this again? That's what they lived in, and that context matters. Do you know that the Israelites were expected to have weapons? We don't often think about that, do we? But if you go back into Jewish history, it wasn't kind of, hey, you, you have the right. To, they were expected to have that. There were no official armies. There, were, there was no draft. I mean, when, when a war broke out or when a king decided, hey, we're going to go and step across this line, it was kind of one from each family. I haven't seen the movie Mulan in a while, but that's kind of what happens in that story, right? Who, who are your dads? Who are your sons? These are the ones that are going to be on the front line. This is why we we read when David says to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David, the king, straps on his sword as well. And then about 400 men go up with David, and then 200 stay with the supplies and make sure things are protected. This was an expectation if you were an Israelite. Even when some of the Psalms are written that says, praise be to the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. This kind of crosses some lines for us because we we have ways that we think about God, and it's important for us to get both sides of that in the midst of Scripture. Look, I believe, personally, and again, we can have conversations about this because this is church and we can talk about it. Guns should be for protection, hunting, or recreation. You can protect yourself. You can kill food or you can have fun okay that's kind of what it is all three of those things re- ironically are intentionally non-violent I know I know you think protection is violence. It, 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 it matches force it's not anything else uh, I remember I, whenever I travel and, and I think part of this is just there I really I have a gun I almost never shoot it right it stays in the safe it's locked up securely away from my children I think is very important as well. But I remember a story from a long time ago. A friend of mine said that he was driving in a rural area, and he was, you know, he, he was driving in a rural er- area, and he hit a deer, right, which probably happens to some of us over the course of our lives. We'll, we'll, we'll hit an animal. He said he was in the middle of nowhere. And the problem was the deer did not die, but it was obviously paralyzed, and he did not have a weapon with him. He had a pipe in the back of his car. Not a great story. He was trying to do the humane thing. And he said, as a result of that, as a result of an experience, I always carry a gun so that I can be merciful if I need to be. I think that's a good intention. He's not going out there and saying, I just hope I hit something so I can shoot it. Okay? There's a difference between those things. I think one of the things that we need to be governed by in our world is reasonable use of these things. Reasonable use. Let me say this right up front. Weapons are not a useful tool for conflict management. Your thought when something bad happens to you is, how can I take revenge or hurt this other person? We really need to come back to Scripture and read passages like Matthew 18, where Jesus says, if there's sin, if there's problems, we we don't start with this overblown response. We start with conversation. We start with brokenness, and that's where we go from. Which leads me to say, why we use them, why we use any kind of gun or weapon, it matters. It's a big Now, I'm a big advocate that we must train people on the why. I'm not opposed to people having a safety course. We do this with driving. I think we should probably do safety courses for people when we're giving our kids phones because we're handing them weapons. We're like, yeah, it'll be fine. I think we should train our kids and say, hey, this can be used really well. It can also be used really badly. We We need to do a better job are providing some, some, change, you know, some training for people to know where the boundaries are, and we've done a bad job with that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a free-for-all and everybody just needs to get after it. I do believe that we need to tell people why. It's a big deal. Now let's come to one of the harder questions, maybe. Was Jesus a pacifist? I've heard people argue this all the time, but I want to share some stories today Uh, Just about these things. I'm sorry, I have the one mic, so I've got to read off the stand. Um, But this is one. The first one's found in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 12. It says, this is when Jesus comes to Jerusalem at the end of his story. He's about to be crucified, kind of within a week. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, My house will be called a house of prayer, and you are making it a den of robbers. A lot of people argue this is the the actual reason why Jesus is crucified by the resistance. If you go over, I had never seen this next passage before. I want to tell you this. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 35. This is when Jesus, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out 70, and then later as the scripture comes back, Jesus sends out more people. He's about to send them out on kind of their last quest, and it says this in verse 35 of Luke 22. Then Jesus asked them, when I send you without a purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and get one. It is written, as he was numbered with the transgressors, I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written is about to reach its fulfillment, you know, in me. The disciples, one of the disciples says, See, Lord, here are two swords. Jesus says, That's enough. I'd never seen that before. I was like, This sounds so un Jesus like. And yet it's right there. What about the 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 last text here? In the garden, Jesus is being arrested. We know the story. And here's Simon, right, who had a sword. He didn't take one off one of the guards. He was prepared for battle. He thought something different was about to happen. He was going to protect Jesus at all costs. And when that moment comes, it says he draws his sword that is is under his cloak. Nobody knows it's there, but he's ready for battle. And he strikes the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear the guy's name is Malchus and then Jesus says put your sword away shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me what Jesus is saying in short language is now is not the time for that but he never says how dare you do that that's the wrong response he just says not right now which is kind of a surprising turn of phrase when you think about Jesus because if we ask the question, look, pacifism is a complete rejection of violence. That's the, the definition of it. Nothing, there should be no violence in the world. They're fully pacifist. This is why Buddhist monks, they won't hurt any living animals. This is strictly why they're, they're vegan, because they do not believe in harming anything else, and they don't want to create harm or violence in anything else. But if you ask the question, does God allow violence? Well, if you, if you read some of the Old Testament stories, it kind of seems that way. But the funny thing is this. God only uses violence to make peace. God is not a big bully. If you don't believe me, think about the crucifixion. If Jesus was a pacifist, that could not have been the way that God's will came to bear. Because it had to come through the lens of death and violence. And if God or Jesus were pacifists, then the crucifixion could not have happened. But God uses it as a way to make peace. God also only uses violence when people will not listen. This is not God's first approach. You need to do this, or let's just go and wipe them off the face of the earth. If you think about the ten plagues, the goal is, I want to try these smaller kind of annoying things. They probably would be more annoying than anything else. Because I'm trying to change the heart of these people. It is only until the tenth plague that God uses violence against the families. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you remember it? They are idolatrous people. God goes in. He doesn't say, wipe them all out. He says, if you just find 100 people, okay, 50, okay, 20, okay, five. God always starts. He doesn't just start with violence. And I think sometimes when we read the New Testament, even when God goes in, and there's some stories that seem kind of genocide, because God goes in and he says, I want you to go in. I want you to destroy absolutely everything, men, women, children, animals, But it's because they are idolaters and they will not listen, and God does not want any remnant of that left. That's why he calls for that kind of, and that level of destruction. The way that I would say it is this, and hopefully this makes sense. God matches disobedient force. God is never the aggressor first. When Jesus goes into the temple and he sees that they have brought tables in to buy and sell, what does he do? Burn the temple down? No, he takes the tables out. Whatever they have done, he undoes. And then he kind of sets the perspective. This is meant to be a place where people come to pray, to connect with God, and you are violating that, so it's got to go. It's one of those moments where we say, well, Jesus got angry this one time. I think there were many occurrences like this. When Jesus took something that they were doing and said, that needs to be moved out of the way. But he wasn't aggressive in that. He matched the disobedience point for point. There is a difference between pacifism and peacemaking. Jesus talks about this in his first sermon. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If a person slaps you on the right cheek, pull out your AK-47 and no. Turn the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, give them your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus, early in the passage, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. There's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Sometimes we have to make peace. Which brings us kind of back to this question. How do my, my rights and my faith mix? Sometimes there's, there's conflict. Now I'm actually in chapter 5, verse um, 38. You've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your cloak as well. If anyone wants you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've also heard it said, love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. This is not a yes or no question. I think sometimes we like yes or no questions because they're better. Maybe if we end where we started, is it okay for a Christian to own a gun? Maybe we should ask that question differently. Should we own guns? Should we do that? My answer is actually quite simple. Only if we can find a balance between ourselves and the kingdom of God. Because Jesus seems to say, you should seek first the kingdom. And then worry about everything else. I don't think that he is that concerned with a lot of the rest of these things. If God is in his rightful place in your life, you're going to use everything better. You're going to use your marriage better. You're going to use your money better. It all comes back to Jesus saying, listen, start with God, start with you and God, and let that other stuff find its natural place. Maybe another way is this. Only if we can lay down our rights for the sake of our faith. If we can say, hey, you know what? I really want to hate my enemies. But because of the kingdom of God, I'm called to love them. I really want to hurt people around me. But rather than starting there, what if I start by praying for people? It's amazing that if we put the kingdom where it's meant to be in our lives, life just seems to go so much better. And so during this series, and and again, I'm not not looking for you to agree with me or disagree with me. If you do, let's talk. Let's have conversations. You don't have to go find another church. Let's just talk about it. We're going to talk about some fun topics as we go. We're going to talk about, you know, politics maybe, social media, marriage, divorce, remarriage. How much money is too much money? Should you be cremated or buried? That's always a fun one. People that are asking me that question, I sort of feel like they're in a different phase of their lives Um, right at the end. uh, How do we deal with dysfunctional blended families? How do we decide who safe people are? How do we, let's just talk about it. Because I believe there is a word today, not an answer for everything. But I don't believe that the only conversations we have with Jesus are about things that don't affect the rest of our lives. So I think we should ask it, and I will do my best to be a facilitator. And if you didn't agree with everything today, that's what I want. I want you to think about it. I want us to take stock and assessment of where we are in our lives and what the calling of our lives actually is. So let's ask. Father, thank you so much. Today, we ask you to continue to be our God. We ask you to work through us and in us, and often in spite of us. God, I, I know that today sounds like it maybe is a sermon about guns or weapons, but it really isn't. It's a sermon it's a sermon about the heart about how we interact with the kingdom. It's about what the sacrifice of Jesus means to us. And Father, I pray that in a world where people are trying to choose sides against each other mostly, we pray that we would have one thing in common in this room today, and that is that we are choosing your side first and foremost. That that's what matters the most. And Father, if there's things we need to learn, would you teach them to us gently as you do? God, thank you that you are not violent with us when we step out of line, that you have grace and mercy because if we think about it long enough, we know that we're people who deserve violence. But thank you that you are a God who is defined by love, by grace, by peace. And thank you that you give that to us as well. God, if we, if we have people in our lives we feel a sense of violence towards, would we start with you? Would you start with us? Would you work things out in us? Would you teach us what we need to see? And Father, that when we do respond, <laughs> that it would be something that is bathed in prayer. Father, we all have enemies in our lives. We all have people, and maybe, maybe we're sitting next to our enemy today. Maybe our our marriages have become places of violence or conflict. God, I just pray that we would hear these words for our lives today. Thank you that we can enjoy talking about maybe silly and trivial things. But, Father, may we hear your word in the midst of all of it. Thank you for our time today. Bless us as we continue to worship. We pray this all through Jesus.